Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 1144 of the Juicebox Podcast. Today I'll be speaking with Jonathan, who has quite a story. He's had type 1 diabetes for 30 years, and he's had recently his colon removed. There's a lot to this story that you're going to be interested in, so get comfortable, and we'll get going. Nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan. When you place your first order for AG1 with my link, you'll get five free travel packs and a free year supply of vitamin D. Drink ag1.com slash juicebox. Don't forget to save 40% off of your entire order at CozyEarth.com. All you have to do is use the offer code JUICEBOX at checkout. That's JUICEBOX at checkout to save 40% at CozyEarth.com. And I have a unique opportunity for you to help people living with diabetes. Go to T1DExchange.org forward slash JUICEBOX and fill out the registry survey. Just complete the survey and you will be helping people with type 1 diabetes. You might also be helping yourself. They're specifically looking for men right now, so jump over there and take a look. If you're the mother of a child who happens to be male, that counts just the same. t1dexchange.org slash juicebox. U.S. residents only. This episode of the Juicebox podcast is sponsored by CozyEarth.com. Cozy Earth is where I get my clothing, linens, and towels from. They are incredibly comfortable and temperate. I love them. Uh, I really do love them. And I love that I can give you an offer code that will save you 40% off of your entire order. Just use the offer code JUICEBOX at checkout and you will save 40% at CozyEarth.com. US Med is sponsoring this episode of the Juicebox podcast. And we've been getting our diabetes supplies from US Med for years. You can as well. USMed.com slash juicebox or call 888-721-1514. Use the link or the number, get your free benefits check, and get started today with US Med. I'm Jonathan. I'm a type 1 diabetic. I wear an optomy, so I do not have a colon. And I started a nonprofit to help uh, folks with chronic illnesses get outside safely and have some fun. Wait, hold on, Jonathan. I don't know if you broke up, but Jonathan lives in a place where there's like four cows and a bird. So, um, <laughs> what, what you have a what? Uh, so I have, I had my colon removed, uh, last, uh, June of 22 for fun. Uh, so, What'd you do that for? Um, yeah, I decided, you know, I, I love mountain biking and I love eating and I wasn't losing enough weight. So I figured, you know, I may as well just start taking, vital organs out just to try to get in shape. Wow. Uh, it's called a colectomy. So, is that right? Yeah. Okay. Well, exactly. Okay. So I've, um, been a type one diabetic for 30 years mm-hmm. and, uh, just turned 40, 41. And I had been thick off and on, um, for a better part of a decade. And, and what I mean by that is obviously just running to the bathroom so I would, I'm a, I, I love running. I love, like I said, mountain biking, cycling, anything to get outside and get active. And so I, I noticed more and more I was running to the bathroom, you know, it'd go uh, two weeks where I'd be running three or four times a day and I'd go to the doctor and they'd say, ah, oh, your, 
you're stressed, you're too high strung, relax, you know, take it easy. And that progressed over the years to the height of going about 30 times a day. Whoa. Yeah, it was um, no life. Uh, I still managed somehow to, to, to run sort of in between porta potties. Hmm. And it got to the point where, yeah, I just, I didn't have a life. I was incredibly sick, ended up in the hospital. Actually, it was shingles. Uh, that was where things really went downhill. Uh, I, I ended up somehow with, with, with shingles, which then led to a diagnosis of sarcoidosis. And <gasps> sarcoidosis is Jonathan, pretty rare, right? No, Jonathan, that's the one. That's the one they use on house when they don't know what else is happening. Did you really exactly. have it? I 100%. I wanted, I, first of all, and I'll fast forward a little bit. All I want is a T-shirt, right? I want an undiagnosable T-shirt or, or something uh, from Mayo Clinic that just shows, like, I'm part of a cool club that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Dr. House's undiagnosable. <laughs> I can quit making this podcast now. I I think you're good. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know this was going to happen, actually. Jonathan, I swear to you, and I feel terrible about this, I was so excited when you said that. <laughs> I, I really feel bad. Really? So... But I, I'm, I wish I was making this up, but mm. I'm in, I'm again, I'm jumping around here, yeah, but yeah. it all makes sense in the end. Right. Sure. I'm in the emergency room, um, as I'm sick that they they don't know what's going on. I've got shingles on my face. The doctors are convinced that I'm cheating on my wife, that I have an STD, which I don't really know much about STDs, but I was questioning how it would all show up there. It, long story. And when the sarcoidosis diagnosis comes back the doctor is literally holding a book peering around the book to look at me and then back to the book and then back to me and then back to the book hmm. and he said i've never seen anybody with sarcoid i've only read about it yeah no kidding let's take a picture great I, uh, i'm sitting right here so can we talk about like what do we do now let me let me ask um, you some questions because i have already too many questions yeah, so yeah, yeah you're diagnosed at 11 with type 1 do you have any Correct. other autoimmune issues it depends on who you, you know, it's the, the whole gluten thing. They go back and forth on interpreting that. Mm -hmm. So I've uh, never officially been diagnosed on that front, but I do tend to avoid it just, you know, again, stomach stuff. But no, no uh, type else. one was, was just about it. How about in your family? Any other type one or yeah. autoimmune? Yeah, yeah. So my, my cousin, uh, my mom's on my mom's side, uh, he was diagnosed, geez, uh, maybe two, I want to say maybe even younger, maybe one. Um, and then my uh, my nephew a couple years ago, uh, my brother's son. So that uh, that was rough. Uh, obviously, my cousin, I wasn't, you know, I was older, and and he he felt bad for me. But my nephew being diagnosed, that was that was a tough one. That that hit me pretty hard for a while. So you go from eleven to when when does the bathroom thing happen? And I have questions about that too. Like, what age do you start finding yourself? Early early twenties. Early, so um, about 10 years in yeah. your diabetes. Then. Yeah, Ish. exactly. Okay. All right. When you talk about running to the bathroom, I'm so sorry I'm going to ask you this, but no, please. Well, you, I've, I'm an open book here. You, you, you get it, and you get in there, and yeah. it lasts for two seconds, five hours. How long are you there every time you sit down? So I would. I would meet a friend uh, for a, a run every, every Friday morning. And this kind of summarizes my day. Every Friday morning at six o'clock. Doesn't matter what the weather is, you you're on the corner to run, and so I would wake up usually around four, and use the bathroom until about ten minutes before I would meet him. 
and it would just be a constant stream of water coming out of my my body okay okay so uh and then after i got back i was sometimes i'd need that so that was a usually about an hour run right so then at times i would have to stop during that and go about halfway or i'd get home and i would immediately dart to the bathroom go again trying to get ready for work get to work go again i mean so it's pretty hey, involved tell me something you wake up at four and yeah. you're this is happening. It's a, a deluge of liquid coming out. When was the last <laughs> time you ate prior to that? Uh, it would usually be, gosh, you know, eight, nine o'clock the night before. Okay. And now you're out for your run, but you get done. You have to go again. You weren't eating yeah. or drink. What were you doing during the run? Just drinking or eating? N nothing, nothing. Nothing. And it just happens. No, again. For, yep. And, that, and that's the thing. The only way I've, I've always described it to, to people as being like a wrung out sponge. Right. It just, you felt dehydrated and tired all the time. It just felt like, how, uh, there's just, there's nothing left in my body. Yeah. Uh, how is this possible to continue doing this? Well, minerals, um, hydration, nutrition, all that stuff must, you, your body can't be picking it up quickly enough when it's coming out that fast, I would imagine. No, and and the, the, the kind Dr. Houses of the world, I was gain, I continued to gain weight, which they can't they still don't grasp like mm. why usually people in this condition we see are skin and bones and you're not, you're just retaining this inflammation. And that's where they started going was hang on. You, your body is just so inflamed. Something else is going on yeah. that we don't quite understand. I used to hate ordering my daughter's diabetes supplies. I never had a good experience and it was frustrating, but it hasn't been that way for a while, actually for about three years now. Because that's how long we've been using U.S. Med. USmed.com slash juice box. Or call 888-721-1514. U.S. Med is the number one distributor for Freestyle Libre Systems nationwide. They are the number one specialty distributor for Omnipod Dash. The number one fastest growing tandem distributor nationwide. The number one rated distributor in Dexcom customer satisfaction surveys. They have served over 1 million people with diabetes since 1996, and they always provide 90 days worth of supplies and fast and free shipping. U.S. Med carries everything from insulin pumps and diabetes testing supplies to the latest CGMs like the Libre 3 and Dexcom G7. They accept Medicare nationwide and over 800 private insurers. Find out why U.S. Med has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau at usmed.com slash juicebox, or just call them at 888-721-1514. Get started right now, and you'll be getting your supplies the same way we do. This episode of the Juicebox podcast is sponsored by Cozy Earth, and right now I'm looking at CozyEarth.com to see what's going on. I got, oh, ooh, look at this, bamboo pajama set for ladies, the jogger pants for ladies, looks like plush lounge socks. That's one of Oprah's favorite things. There's the bath collection. Uh, we love the waffle towels, but there's also premium plush bath towels. Everything that you see here can be had for 40% off with the offer code JUICEBOX at checkout. Even the sheets. Now, we use the bamboo sheets. You may choose different linens. I don't know what you're going to uh, love when you get to CozyEarth.com, but we sleep on bamboo sheets from Cozy Earth. They are incredibly comfortable, and I bought them myself with my own money using my own offer code, 
juice box at checkout. 40% off is what I saved. You can as well at CozyEarth.com. Okay. And and so this was happening throughout the day. Does, does it, mm-hmm. I've, how long till you go to the doctor? Um, very quickly. Yeah. You know, I, I did not want, I knew something was wrong. And yet, so I had my first colonoscopy when I was 26. And and again, it would go in sp- in 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 spouts. I thought you were going to say spurts, <laughs> and you stopped yourself, right? I did, yeah. I did. <laughs> so yeah, it would be two weeks of this, right? It would be three, whatever the case may be, four days, and it would go away. And I go to the doctor, so that, you know, did a colonoscopy. Everything looked fine, but maybe just stay away from gluten, stay away from dairy. You know, make. I, I have tried every single, you name, uh, FODMAP diet. Uh, I've, you know, only eat beans. I did that. You know, jump up and down three times on a full moon, did that. And it just continued getting progressively uh, worse to where, you know, two weeks turned into a month, turned into three months. Um, and that's where finally I was referred to to Mayo Clinic. Okay. Once somebody said, oh, we have literally no idea what's happening here. So Exactly. Yeah. This, this doesn't make any, any sense okay. whatsoever. Then what happens there that leads to, because I'm trying to understand, because I don't understand this at all. How yeah. does having your colon removed, how is that helpful for this? And how do you get to uh, that? It, it's a great question and, and still, and, and one that's hard to, uh, to answer, especially as my family still has that that question mm-hmm. and it doesn't it doesn't fix sarcoid it doesn't stop anything other than running to the bathroom 30 times a day so i leading up to you know when we first met with mayo the doctor was incredible and said i'm going to be very upfront with you that this is the trajectory right so we're going to start with these sort of experimental ideas that we have in our research and then we're going to go to more traditional uh, potentially infusion treatments and then worst case scenario, which I hope isn't there, is, is surgery. That's where the most extreme cases go. And we went through two years of experiments and infusion treatments. So I was going to a, a cancer infusion center um, every so often for several hours for an infusion uh, in hopes to um, slow that, you know, my immune system just going haywire. And so it got to the point where none of that was helping. None of it was adding up. So we did every test imaginable at Mayo. And so they went in and did the final colonoscopy to take a look. And they said, you know, your colon is just so inflamed and so angry with not only colitis, lymphocytic colitis, but also granulomas. We can see, you know, we, we've tested it and you have sarcoid throughout your colon, which is incredibly rare. So not only do I have this rare condition, but now I have another rare element on top of it. A lot of times they say that sarcoidosis could last for years and go away or it could exactly end, or it could end in organ damage so yep what so is that do you just set a timer in your head and go i can't do this anymore yes okay 100 you're right okay that's exactly what i did all right it was impacting every aspect of my life uh from family to um you know career to, to everything to i mean the top thing for me was family and, and outdoors. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I was carrying a shovel and biodegradable toilet paper, which I still do because of my bag, but I carry it. I was carrying it on, on runs in the woods, 
quite literally the runs and uh there's so many were you know bad puns so yeah, keep fun going it's fine have. jonathan don't worry you you keep going <laughs> uh so you're bur- you're like out there like a cat burying your stuff <laughs> digging cattle yeah, yeah, yeah i mean yeah, you gotta yeah, yeah. i, I got just you. couldn't i knew from a mental health perspective if i wasn't moving in some fashion that that would be more detrimental than than what sarcoid was doing to me so i i had to get out there so then my next question and i really don't know the answer to this but once you have that surgery, what do mm-hmm. they, where does it go? Yeah. So I had, as you mentioned, a colectomy. So I had my entire, uh, is it, I want to say 16th. I could be incredibly wrong on that, but it was, it was a long, it was a nine plus hour surgery and they attached. So they essentially took a piece of my um, small intestine and uh, pulled that out through a hole in my stomach that they created just uh, bottom of my stomach to the right of my belly button uh, as I'm facing it and connected an ostomy bag. So essentially there's a piece of plastic, just like a pump site, really adhesive mm-hmm. that goes around this little piece of intestine, uh, which then you connect. I, you can have a one piece bag or a two piece bag. So I have two pieces. So I have a piece of adhesive on my stomach and then I have a bag that adheres to that adhesive that kind of locks on it. and Anything that I eat then goes right into this bag. Okay, so it makes it it makes it to your stomach for digestion and for nutrition and all that stuff. Yeah, and I it's it's not really you know people are, oh my gosh you poop in a bag it it's not it's like I always say it's like half digested food because you know, your your small intestine only does so much, mm-hmm. so much so it's not quite like what you think of like, Oh, he's got, he's carrying around poop in his bag. I didn't think of that, but now that you're saying it, I am imagining it. So yeah, (laughs) Yeah, of course. Well, it's, you know, the, the, I've found that the stereotype is that people that, that have this, uh, medical, um, bag, if you will, uh, it's dirty, smells terrible. You're pooping into a bag and it's, um, there are some truths to it, but but for the most part, it's not as you know gross as the internet makes it out to be. You don't get any more of that like wash of just liquid running through you. That doesn't happen no. anymore. How about no? That? So I so they removed not only obviously my my colon, they removed my rectum because my rectum was was diseased as well, and so essentially I they built like a small little not really a pouch, but they just, just a small, uh, I don't know, little space, uh, and sewed that shut. So they removed everything. And, uh, so there's, there's no connection. Uh, I, it's a dead end as I like to joke with my kids. Wait, hold on a second. I can't take your temperature rectally. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, is there an entrance? I don't there? know. Yeah, I've got an entrance. Okay. It's just, it doesn't go anywhere. Gotcha. It just yeah, into like so a, always, almost like a um, like if you were transitioning the way they might create like a vagina, like that. Yeah, like it's just that, there's I'm just not, there's like a space back there, but it ends. Yeah, yeah, oh, okay. very quickly. So okay. I um, okay, I got it. Yeah, I always joke that I've got a no outlet or a, a dead end. Yeah, how about that? That's in, that's <laughs> dude, that's insane. It really is, it's, but it's it's wild. I mean, it's yeah. uh. Yeah, it's been over a year now, but I still have times where I wake up and I'm like, holy, ho- holy crap. You know, this, this is the reality. Mm. I'm 41 years old and I'm laying here staring at the, at a bag that I'll have for the rest of my life. And, 
you know, yeah, there's certain times of, of sort of heaviness that goes along with that. Yeah. But at the same time, it's afforded me a lot. It's still a heck of a lot of work, but it's afforded me a lot of, of freedoms. Mm. Can you remove it for short periods or does it always have to be on? Uh, so, you no, know, you can completely. So you have to do a bag change. And this is where the parallels to diabetes are there because every every person's different. Uh, so you can't really go and get the playbook. Um, so I change my bag usually about every two days. I know some folks that change it every week. Uh, they're able to keep the adhesive in the bag sort of in good condition. I'm able to take a shower and I take the bag off before the shower, clean, you know, clean myself off, clean the stoma, which is the piece of the small intestine that's kind of sticking out of my stomach and kind of wash that up and then put a new adhesive on, put a new bag and, and you're ready to go. Yeah, see, I meant sexy time, but that was a good explanation for that. So, like, can it come off for short periods of time for activities? Sex, so, sexy time, mm-hmm. it, that's that's one element that frustrates me within, and maybe it's just because of what people are able to communicate on the internet, mm-hmm. because I wanted to understand, like, how does it all work? And everyone says, oh, you just wear a belt. I'm like, well, nothing says sexy, like, <laughs> bopping out of the bathroom with a massive medical belt on a, a bag around your stomach with a belt yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. get the lighting yeah. right this is gonna work <laughs> <laughs> stand back here comes oh, you just gosh. gotta backlight so, me that's all I'll, I'll, the, <laughs> yeah right totally um and so yeah that that's where it is frustrating from you know, an insulin pump obviously you know you take that off no big deal the bag is there yeah. And so that took me a long time and I, I still struggle with it. It's, it's there. It makes noise. Your stoma may make noise because you've got, you know, you, you, you ate and I'm very fortunate because, you know, I've known my wife, you know, our whole lives and been, started dating when we were 19. So I just feel for people that are dating or may not have a partner or whatever the case may be. And they're having to navigate that. Sure. Um, and I don't think there's enough conversation going on about, you know, the bag moving around, you know, while you're having sex, the, the just addressing that. It usually just comes with, oh, just put a belt on and you're fine. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of underwear, like crotchless underwear that are, are made for women. I've approached as many companies as I can find of like, hey, you know, would you be interested in making men's underwear? I believe I'm probably, they see me as just an internet creepo, (laughs) (laughs) which now in hindsight, I can see like some random person messaging, hey, dear um, sir, but (laughs) we're madam. I was wondering, madam, (laughs) right? Um, So, um, uh, but I've, I've talked to other people that, that, that do make, um, make garments and I'm trying to come up with an idea. It's just something Mm -hmm. that's just, you know, it just, it gets annoying. It's okay. there, <laughs> but how many I'm people grateful that, are there? Is there data on how many people have had this done? Not reliable data that okay. I've seen. So I, I've it, it's different doctors saying, and I don't know if this is accurate, but um, they say about one point eight percent of people with sarcoid end up with it in their colon. Okay, man, it's a very yeah. Just I mean, that's got to be a small number of a small number, I would imagine. Truly, and, and and my presentation of it is is bizarre, and that's why you know to your point earlier about house. I mean that it is it's it's a disease of uh, exclusion, and it's one that is not understood. And mine showed up on my arms. Usually, if 
if it's going to show up in your skin, you usually see it on your, uh, what I've been told anyway, on, on your shins. And I had large granulomas showing up all, up and down my arms. And that's what led to the diagnosis. That's how they tested it. And then finding it within my colon, um, it didn't go into my lungs right away, which is, again, bizarre to the doctors. I have scar tissue in my heart. So they believe while they didn't catch it during the test that at some point I had granulomas in my heart. Uh, and now it, it appears early signs are showing my liver as well. So it's uh, continues to perplex a lot of people. What are the long term implications of that? You know, as you as you as you talked about earlier, you know, the hope is that it goes away. I, I just restarted immune suppressant treatment, so we're hoping that that keeps it at bay. Uh, it's going to take about three months for the immune suppressant to work because we have to start with the uh, the cheap stuff that insurance will cover. You know, you, your Humeras of the world. I feel like that's a very uh, a lot of people have heard of Humera. Mm -hmm. So that is one that is an, an option, but you got to start with this one because, uh, as you can appreciate, insurance. Yeah, and, and they don't know. You know, it's uh, it, it's difficult for me in a sense because yeah, you there's some medical professionals that say, hey, you know, you had your colon removed, bad luck, whatever the case may be. We we think you're going to be fine. Well, that, that's good. Then you talk to another doctor that says, I don't like the fact that your that your liver levels are doing what they're doing. I don't like the fact that we're starting to see the sarc, you know, granulomas form there. And I think you have to have an understanding that we can only take so many organs out. And I have had a very difficult uh, my my body builds up immunities rather quickly to immune suppressant drugs treatments. Okay. So Humira, again, you name it. And that or I have an allergic reaction to them. So they said, you know, you do you kind of do the math on this. You're not responding to drugs, and this weird presentation keeps attacking different, and that's my word, attacking, keeps going into different organs. So that that gives me pause. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, I'm reading now while we're talking. It's fascinating, too, that you don't have other autoimmune diseases, but you have this one. So in case people right? are wondering, yeah. sarcoidosis is an autoimmune disease. Correct. Yeah, and uh, there's, like, the things I'm reading here say, like, look, it, this could be something that goes away to something that just like hits different internal organs and, mm -hmm. you know, it could kill you at some point. Like, so like there's any, yeah. like any version of like severity here. I mean, it's, yes. it's gotta be frustrating to say the very least. It, tremendous. Yeah. And, and it's frustrating because much like diabetes, again, there's just so there, there really are a lot of parallels. Oh, my, you know, my uncle, you know, he had sarcoid and he was fine after two years. You're like, oh, that's wonderful. That's fantastic. My, mine isn't quite like that. Um, yeah. You know, my lungs, for instance, as I said, as I've mentioned many, many times, I'm just avid outside. And now my, while it is not sarcoid, and this is the next puzzle piece based on my last visit to Mayo uh, this spring, my, I, I kept telling them I'm not breathing right. I'm not, I'm, you know, I, something is, is off with my body. I'm not responding the way that I'd like to. And I was told, Oh, it's fine. It's just, you know, you're still recovering from surgery. But so then I finally pushed enough that they did some, some tests and a, and a biopsy and it came back chronic inflammation. So again, it's like, it's not sarcoid per se yet, or maybe it was at one point, but it is your, your lungs are chronically inflamed. And my question is why? Mm. And they just shake their head. Nobody knows. Yeah. Well, listen, so for people who didn't understand my reference earlier, 
If you didn't watch the show House MD when it was first run, it was about this doctor in Princeton, right, who took on the toughest cases. Like he was one of those people who helped you diagnose things that nobody else could diagnose. And it was a running joke. It wasn't it? Well, it was a joke, I think, from the writers that at some point they would either get to like, you know, halfway through the episode when they're all wringing their hands and they don't know what it is. Someone would say, could it be sarcoidosis? Or lupus was the other one that they would go to. Yes. And then, yes, and then by the end too. of the episode, it was never sarcoidosis. No. More importantly, if you Google, it's never S-A-R, it will autofill sarcoidosis <laughs> yes. and take you to just different web old websites from back when House was first run, where people are like, why do they always say it's sarcoidosis? <laughs> right? Is yes. this a running no, joke on House? Like, like, you know... It would happen constantly. So anytime the word comes up on the podcast, and it has a couple of times, I explain this thing and make this joke. And no lie, like three days ago, I was telling my wife how it had come up on the podcast recently. And when you said you had it, I was like, that's not possible. People don't actually get it. They just... (laughs) It's a, then I realized the, the difference between reality and television. Uh, but it, it really, like, you floored me for a second. And this explanation is fascinating. Like, I never understood, obviously, the depth of this. Yeah. It's really interesting to hear about. I'm sorry you're telling it yeah. from a first-person perspective. Let me try to make sure I understand. You started with kind of like yeah. Humira kind of a, like level drugs. When that doesn't well, yeah. work, then they'll push for something harder, and that should help the the insurance company say yes to it. Is that kind of the path you're on there? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. M- much. Yes. And, and so we started with, with the free. So, I mean, I was drinking two bottles of Pepto-Bismol a day. That was Mayo had had uh, uh, research studies that had the, the effects of Pepto. So I, I'm just pounding on inflammation. Wait, what was the Pepto for, Jonathan? Uh, it, it, the, they had research with, at this point, all they thought they were treating was colitis. Oh, I see. I see for the colitis. Okay. So they had no, and, and that's the amazing part in all of this is, and, and how sneaky Starcoid is, is that they, they had no idea and it was nothing that they did. It was just, it was there and no one knew it. Hmm. And so they thought they were just, quote, simply treating colitis. It was a lot of experimental, like, hey, we, we've seen promise in X, let's try that. And you're, you're exactly right. So then it's, let's start with the easier drugs to obtain. Let's get up to the infusions. And I either built up antibodies to it, or I had an anaphylactic reaction to one of them. That was relatively scary. So we got to the point where, you know, the, the, we're, like you said, we're at a crossroads of how much is too like, where do we draw the line? And I finally drew the line and said, beyond this, I can't do it anymore. Like, this is, this is too much. Yeah. Uh, have you had any therapy or like mental health yeah. help with it. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a math. I I'm open and talking about. You know, we've we've had as I as you know, we've had quite the adventure when it comes to to health. And not only my diabetes, we we have three kids, which we're we're fortunate to have. Uh, in between our second and third, we had three children uh, lost. You know, 22 weeks. And so that sort of started my mental health journey of, I didn't even realize I needed help at that point because I was struggling so much to deal with the pregnancy losses. And when I asked for help from a a doctor, I was told, suck it up. Your job is to help your wife right now. Your job isn't to sit around and complain about losing a child. Hmm. So I took that as, okay, 
just suck it up and keep moving. So I was walking around with what I thought was just plain, you know, depression. And that's how it was treated for a very long time uh, until I found a counselor about uh, three years before my surgery that found out I, in fact, you know, diagnosed me with PTSD. And so it completely changed the treatment and the approach uh, because everyone just kept saying, oh, you're depressed, you're depressed, take these pills. And it was like, I don't want to just take the pills. I want to do some work around this. Yeah. Uh, I see um, a counselor on a regular basis to try to manage all of this. As you can appreciate, diabetes in itself is kind of a full-time job. And then all of this other, all these other elements really weigh on me mentally. Sure. Yeah, no. I mean, I can't see how they wouldn't. Do your kids show any autoimmune issues? Not yet. Uh, I was uh, one of your guests uh, a couple episodes ago talking about, you know, if, if their child does something, they, they check their blood sugar. Uh, and, and we do that, you know, if one of the kids is like, gosh, I've been drinking water all day. I'm like, get over here. <laughs> let, me, let me check you. So far, so good on all autoimmune fronts. And that was a hang up I had with kids, right? Like, um, I struggled with the concept and my wife, I think, put it really well of, you know, we, we will cross that bridge if we ever get to it. However, we'll know how to help. We'll know how you'll understand how to help them. And that gave her peace of mind. And she told me that regularly. So I felt comfortable, you know, having the kids. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, how does all of this impact diabetes care? The inflammation has been difficult. Uh, the insulin resistance, as you can imagine, goes higher and higher, uh, the more inflamed my body gets. Uh, so that's certainly been a challenge to find any patterns. With that said, I mean, I'm fortunate in that my A1Cs have, through a lot of hard work, you know, have stayed in the mid-sixes throughout all of it. But it, it's interesting because I see patterns where, uh, you know, my output, as we call it, not, you know, pooping in the bag, but my output, if, if I am feeling somewhat dehydrated or uh, my output, you know, I'm putting out more in, into the bag on a, on a daily basis than usual. I can certainly see a reflection in, in blood sugar. Uh, but yet again, there's, I feel like there's not many of us. So when, when I collaborate with my doctors on it, they kind of ask me questions more than they're like me. They're like, this is really interesting. Like, great. Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it. Oh, I can't tell you how many research studies I'm in. Every time I go to Mayo, it's like, hello. Hi. <laughs> um, which Hi. I'm, <laughs> I I have a grad student uh, here that wants to talk to you. <laughs> oh, absolutely! Oh gosh, it's like yes. I imagine uh, you know, Doctor Schmuckety Duck from from Denmark is here. I'm like, ah, bring him in. Right. Uh, How about um your your choices of food? Like, is there a certain yeah. way to eat that's more valuable for you than others? Yeah. So after surgery, they they recommend real heavy starchy white rice, uh, lots of peanut butter, which I'm good with. Uh, anything that'll thicken up that output, because the biggest, one of the largest challenges that you have is uh, is dehydration. And once somebody with an ostomy gets dehydrated, because your your colon is really responsible for the bulk majority of absorbing foods, you know, moisture content essentially. Yeah. yeah. So once you take that away, then your your small intestine needs to pick it up, but it can only do so much. Mm -hmm. It's only really designed to do so much. So. So once you get dehydrated, it's it's usually a trip to the emergency room to get an IV. An IV. That's kind of it can go bad pretty fast. Okay. What's a, like a regular day like though? What do you eat in a day in the course of a day? 
Um, so it took me a while. I stayed on that post-surgery meal. So it was, like I said, the rice, heavy stuff like that, um, removing the skin off your apples, anything, because what you're trying to avoid is getting a blockage. Mm-hmm. And if anyone's had an intestinal blockage, you know how much, I mean, it is excruciating. Um, I had one, thankfully, in the hospital because my gut still hadn't woken up yet. So they were able to treat with, obviously, heavy pain meds and a lot of IVs. And that's the only way to treat the blockage for us. Um, So I was feeling that pain. I was really reluctant to branch out of my food until one of the nurses at Mayo was phenomenal and kind of gave me a pep talk of, like, you need to get back into you know, eating the way you want to eat. So unfortunately, due to the sarcoid right now, my mouth has incredible sores and inflammation all through it. So eating is really challenging. But if an optimal day, um, you know, breakfast is usually uh, some type of oatmeal or eggs uh, and, and bananas, you know, some type of fruit, I'm back to eating salad again, which I love. So a lot of fruit, a lot of vegetables, lean meats, uh, try to limit red meat just because of it's just I've noticed for my output and how I feel. It's just harder on my digestive system. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, a lot of fish, uh, brown rice, things of that nature. So I'm back to to where I want to be. But the the nurse was cracking up because she kind of, again, gave me the pep talk and then I saw her the next day and she asked what I did. And I was like, I went out and I got a salad and an apple with the skin on it. And she's like, Oh, you rebel. I'm crazy. I'm crazy. (laughs) Get out of the way. Do you supplement with anything, any supplementation that they've asked you to use? You know, so vitamin D and B are are the only two from all the blood work that I give that they've had me supplementing with. And I've wanted to research and study other elements a bit more, but I just, I haven't. So those are the only two that, you know, outside of a general vitamin that I'm supplementing with. Are there any benefits? Are you saving crazy money not buying toilet paper? Or during COVID, when when everybody was looking for toilet paper, you're like, I don't care. I'm good. Yeah, Yeah. totally. Um, You know, so when I empty the bag, I I use a little bit of toilet paper just to clean out the sort of the bottom of the bag. So the bag has an adhesive roll. And if you you look it up online, you'll be able to see it. So it locks in place. And there is absolutely no smell from the bag whatsoever when it's locked and closed. Now, obviously, when you open it and empty it, depending on how long it's been since you've emptied it last, there's there's a little bit of smell. Um, but nothing, I find nothing horrible. Um, but so, yeah, I'll use a little toilet paper to clean that up. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, with three kids and, you know, uh, yeah, I'd like to say we've saved money, but probably not. 36 minutes into this, I've sat on, no pun. I've sat on this question as long as I can. Okay. Really didn't mean anything there by by that pun. I mean, so do you have to like throw a Q-tip in the butthole once in a while or rinse it out or something? Or No, that's a great, no, it's a great question because, and now with the, I'm, I'm getting a little bit of, it's a clear, I don't know even how to describe it, like a, a clear mucus that is present every now and again and i'll have to wipe that and i can feel it like it just feels odd and that's one thing that they are they are studying a little bit just because i i guess it can have mine's happening more frequently mm-hmm. so they they recently i went uh, i was fortunate i was able to go locally to do it they just went in with those you know a small camera just to take a look and figure out 
and they can see colitis all in the little surgical pouch. Really? Yeah, super angry, super inflamed. Oh, that's uh, so. Oh, I'm gonna curse. That's crazy. So, what's the pouch made out of? So it's the remaining skin that was there, and I'm I'm sure there's a, you know a surgeon listening right now, like throwing themselves, you know, like that's not accurate. But they should get a podcast if they want to say their opinion. So what? Why don't we replace it with like a real thick water balloon or something? I don't want to like I obviously don't know a lot yeah. about health and medicine, but like, couldn't it be something? that's not your you know what i'm saying like because oh yeah no absolutely the way it was explained to me is it is the safest route to go to essentially so you have two options and that's the other part that totally messes with you right is once you decide okay you know what i i'm i'm going we're gonna do this you meet with the, the surgical team and they outline your options which are one um, what I did, which was complete removal and no expectation of a reversal. Mm-hmm. And what a reversal is, is, is a two-part surgery. Uh, it's called a J pouch. So essentially what they do is surgery one, they go in and remove your colon, uh, colon, and then they give you a temporary, um, ileostomy. Okay. They build a pouch out of your small intestine that essentially acts as your new colon. And that is able to hold uh, waste. And just like your colon does, just it's obviously it's smaller, um, not designed to do that. So it's not quite as foolproof. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then you go back for a second surgery and they remove the temporary ostomy and connect you fully. So they connect to the J pouch to your butt. You're good to go. Obviously, there's a little bit of recovery, a lot of recovery. It's a tough surgery. Uh, and then you're, you know, eating, drinking, living as you would. You go to the bathroom, you sit on the toilet. It's a little softer. It's sometimes people have a difficult time with their muscular control. So you can have accidents with my diabetes, uh, my recovery, not great. Mm-hmm. We decided the first option was the best for us. Okay. Um, I mean, listen, I, it's not a, a well-traveled road to begin with as far as like experience. No. It's not like you can ask a ton of people what they think. Right. So you're, totally. you're, you're a little left with what the doctor tells you and what sounds the most agreeable to you, I would imagine. Yeah. What fits your lifestyle? What, yeah. you know, there's, there's certain people I've met that said, you know, the J pouch was, was right for them. And thankfully they've had no, no issues. You know, the, you see a lot of, they call it J pouch itis, you know, that gets infected or inflamed uh, and give, again, just given my health history for us, it just didn't make sense, uh, to go through the surgery was wicked. I, I have vague recollections of the week, uh, that I was in the hospital, but the ones that I do, it was, it was tough. And yeah. I remember laying there thinking like, is this, this is how I go out. Like I was in so much pain, um, based on how my body mm. was not reacting, right? My bowel wasn't waking up. I couldn't use the bathroom. I couldn't pee. So they were having to come in and every time I had to pee and help me with that. So I, I, I was just, it was rough. And I was seriously thinking like, this is how I die. Like, yeah. this is how I can't believe like, this is it. I was trying to do the surgery to help myself, help my family. And, and this is how I go out. And yeah. thankfully I got through that, right. that part and, uh, was able to, excuse and, me, able to recover. Yeah. And congratulations on not, not using the term. It kicked my when you described the surgery i thought that was because you had made a couple of bad puns Gosh, already it was so easy yeah it i was, missed it it was right it. there and you just sort of left it go but that's fine uh, i'll get another one i'm trying to talk myself like 
out of like I have to say something so I don't keep thinking about it because I want <laughs> I want to use no, the words I want to say rectum like rect r like w r e c k yeah yeah, yeah. totally yeah, I'm looking totally. for that yeah, yeah. pun somewhere and I can't find it. it's terrible <laughs> taking yes, up a lot of my better. thought process while we were talking so far well I mean we we had a poop party a farewell poop party uh, my. Wife and kids got poop emoji balloons and put them all over the house. We, I mean, we had neighbors, a big barbecue, all to salute my colon uh, goodbye. Yeah. So we're we're good with the humor. We we need it. I do have a serious question. Like yeah. going to the bathroom takes up a fair amount of your life, right? Like sleeping. Yeah. You know, how, like yeah. sometimes you resent having to sleep. I don't know if that happens to other people, sure. right? But yeah, you're, totally. you're just like I have things to do and things I'd like to experience. I wish I didn't have to sleep. I know the rest of it must be so bad it, it can't possibly balance it out, but is it kind of cool not to have to do it anymore? Is there anything good about it? Or do you wish you could just sit down and like, you know what I mean? No, it's, uh, our, our, our son, after we explained to him what was going to happen, he said, dad, you can just sit and play video games all day and never poop. You can just, you never, I was like, uh, not exactly. How old is but. your son? I just want to rate where my thought process is. <laughs> he's, he's not. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm 52 <laughs> and it's what I wondered. So don't judge him or judge yeah. me. I don't know which way you're going to no, go. With I it. thought, yeah. I thought it was priceless. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it cracked me up. No, I, I, I wouldn't, uh, it, it was the right decision okay. based on the information that we had at the time. And that's, that, that's a, a, sort of a big thing again as you can appreciate with with management of, of a chronic illness is you know my wife and i always just remind each other more so she reminds me which is we we made the best decision we could with the information we had yeah. and so after i will say after getting the pathology report it felt better because i felt as though i was sort of making a selfish decision that i was taking sort of a quote easy way out by electing to have the surgery because it it was i i made the choice yeah, jonathan i gotta tell you that does not strike me as the easy way out but okay y yeah yeah no it was a weird it, it was a, a strange time <laughs> mentally mm -hmm. and getting the pathology report and i read it and i asked one of the other doctors and i said it based on what i'm reading here my my colon was bad and they said your colon was f and it was a matter of time before you you had it done in an emergency setting, so you made the right oh, choice, and, oh, and yeah, that, yeah. that felt. That, that's good. what you meant about the once they were able to run that colon and look at the pathology of it. They were this was going bad one way or the other. You just kind of got ahead yeah. of it a little bit. I, exactly, yeah, yeah. and okay. Once that doctor walked me through what a emergency removal looks like, I was I'm like, okay, this was a good, yeah, this was a good. Decision. Okay, okay, great. So how do you manage your diabetes? You use a pump, a CGM? What do you do? Yeah, I were, uh, so I use Dexcom and Tandem. I love the data. I, I, I manage my blood sugar through Excel forever because I had my own crazy way of sort of Tracking. looking at trends yeah. and doing all sorts of stuff. So having it now at my fingertips is sometimes a little overwhelming and pretty, pretty great. But uh, yeah, that's what I use. Okay. Uh, using Control IQ or just manual? Yeah, yeah, control IQ. So I was a long time Medtronic, and no offense uh, to any of the Medtronic users or lovers or anything else, because I, I was one of them. After my surgery, actually, is uh, and talking to my nephew, I wore Dexcom very early on in some cl clinical trials, 
it just didn't work very well for me during activity. And I just never went back. And once I saw sort of what was happening, I talked, you know, my endocrinologist is type one. That's what he uses. And he kind of just let me figure it out on my own. But I think outside of exercise mode, that's the only issue that I have with, with the, on the tandem side. Uh, I, I think it's still too aggressive. I, I have to set a temp basal, mm-hmm. but I think for me, the control IQ has been the best. Jonathan, are you, um, are you not getting some impacts because your food is skipping that that large intestine? That's uh, yeah. Because there's some absorption that's not happening now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, hundred percent. Yeah, it's. I I don't know what the percentage is, but it has certainly been a new learning curve of how quickly uh, food hits me. And I I mean, you don't seem like you'd be offended by this, but there's times I won't tell my wife which foods because I don't want to ruin it for her. Um, but I can tell how quickly, I mean, if I see it in my, I can actually see the food in my bag, certain foods, if I don't chew it well enough, or if it's just a, a food that is difficult to digest, mm-hmm. it's coming out of my bag. We don't talk enough around diabetes about like digestion. It's not spoken about, I, totally. I think with the weight yeah. that it carries in the process, right? Like we all, everything's Agreed. just thought of from the, the side of the of the insulin, like almost like everything else is invisible and unknowable, and you're just trying to combat carbs with insulin. When understanding how these things are absorbed by your body and how that continues to impact your blood sugar, or how fat slows down digestion, so you see a rise, I don't know, an hour and a half after you eat a french fry, and you think, "Uh, what's that from? It's because the fries have been just sitting there not being digested, and now all of a sudden, they're being absorbed and you're getting the impact from the carbs beyond the time you imagine that they would happen. Like it's nobody talks about it like that. I I guess it feels random and unknowable, but it's really not. And I think digestion should be uh, discussed more, at least to the level where people could understand like that small part of the concept. I think it's important. Actually, I'm making a presentation like on my other, like I'm looking over to a different computer right now. Uh, for a talk I'm giving next month, and I I just added that recently to like let me give a couple of minutes to this here to make sure people understand this part of it. No, you're you're right, and and it's I think it's a it's a frustration point for many people, which I can appreciate. But no, I, I completely agree yeah. with you from from a diabetes education perspective. It's kind of glossed over, right. and you can really I think fine tune. Now again, it's it's trying to find the patterns, trying to understand. You know, if I eat peanut butter, or, you know, here and don't eat you know, an apple, or I do, what, like, what does that do? And I I think if you're able to have the time and that science brain to sit down and figure it out, it certainly helps. But it is it's a ton of work. I think it. And now it's sort of. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say that I think that at the very least, it can feel like someone comes up behind you and shoves you, and you turn around, no one's there. So, like, you know, yeah, at, yeah, at least yeah. understanding that you're not crazy and the are being shoved from behind, you know, like, like yes. even that would just totally. be helpful. Like, maybe you don't get to understand every impact of every bite of food and, and the different timelines they're going to impact you on. But at least if you know it's going to happen, then when your blood sugar starts going up, it doesn't feel so random, uh, you know, like after. A yes, that, that's all I'm saying. No, and and that you're not crazy, and that you, and I I realized yeah. that I came up at a different time, and I hope this isn't the case anymore. But it was always 
when I was a kid, it was like, what did you do wrong? Yeah. That was the mentality from the medical community, at least that I saw mm-hmm. at the time, which was, you know, your blood sugar was X. Like, oh, are you cheating? What did you do wrong? And I, and I really started to value myself through my numbers. Mm-hmm. So if, uh, you know, my blood sugar was high, it was because I was a crappy kid. Like, that's what I started to think yeah. was that I was not, it wasn't that I was 14 and growing and, you know, it was that I, I screwed it up. And I think there's just so many unknowns there with diabetes and how, like I, I always tell people, it's like, you know, it, it, the sun could be in a different direction. You know, the heat could do something like, you know, I, I had a friend ask me, why don't you just do the same thing for each mountain bike ride? Like, well, I do very, I, I, I do, but I could have been stressed out. I may not have slept a lot last night. I might be, you know, I may have had an extra, whatever the case may be, a cup of coffee. Like it, mm-hmm. the variables are there. So right. I think that's hard for some people to accept. I know it was for me at least. Yeah. I, and again, I guess it just, at least if you understood that that was happening, it wouldn't seem yeah. random. And then you wouldn't have people just again, randomly assigning blame to things because they don't understand what's really happening. Like, let me just, let me just know yeah. that somebody snuck up behind me and shoved me and I don't see them when I turn around. At least I'm, at least I know I didn't do something wrong. Well, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I don't, what I looking again, like looking back, you know, I, I think it's also lost like feeling 300 is not great. Like nobody wants to walk around that way. Like, it's just not a good feeling. So that's kind of what I always tried to remind medical folks. Like if I, I mean, I want to fit, you know, I want to be in target. It's just, I'm confused as to why this is happening. Yeah. Having high blood sugar just doesn't feel good. Right, right. I'm not doing this on purpose. Uh, you said you started a nonprofit for this. Yeah. What is that about? Yeah. So um, my my wife and I had sort of toyed around a, a lot with a nonprofit over the years, and we just didn't really know in what you know what theme. And so I came back uh, from Rochester, uh, Minnesota, from my surgery. Uh, came back to Montana, and obviously being in a rural area. I asked our hospital, could you give can you connect me with other ostomy folks? Do you know any other ostomy uh, type one diabetics out there? And I was essentially laughed at. So I actually had a session with my counselor. I usually run to my counseling sessions because it helps me sort of digest everything mentally. So I'm running home and I, it was something that Tara and I, my wife had talked about something my counselor said, I was like, we need to start a nonprofit. If the the support isn't here in town, uh, then it has. To, then we need to build it ourselves because I can't be the only one that needs help with a chronic illness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Evergreen Adventures was sort of born from that. Um, so we started it uh, in one to connect the, the the local community with each other from a chronic illness perspective. So I, I don't really care. I can't tell you. I don't know if you've experienced this. People come up to me and they're like, you know. I, I don't have it nearly as bad as you, you know, nearly as bad as your child or the case may be. And I, I, I'm not here to, to rate chronic illnesses. There's no scale. I want to help folks with chronic illnesses get outside in a safe and fun manner. Mm-hmm. That's really where Evergreen uh, has played. We, we started a gear loan program. So if you're either a local uh, in Montana or you're coming into the state, uh, to go to you know uh, Yellowstone or any of our amazing outdoor adventures, you can rent or I'm sorry, not rent, but borrow gear from us. Okay. So big, big Agnes, uh, major outdoor company, donated packs to us. We have loaner bear spray that we offer people. 
so they're safe out there. And I've been doing a lot of writing and outreach just to try to connect myself uh, outside of Montana with other folks with chronic illnesses, but also just write about my experiences in the outdoors. Wow. With diabetes and, and, a, and a poop bag. It's egadventures.org, right? Correct. Okay, good. Okay. Thank you. Well, no, thank yeah. you. I appreciate it. It's nice of you to try to help other people. It really is. I hope Yeah, I hope so. You know, that that's... What's the hardest part about helping them? Is it reaching them? Is it like... Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's 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 the reach, uh, as, you, as you can appreciate. Now, I, I have a public relations and a communications background, so this was somewhat defeating. I think social media is, is a is a beast, uh, obviously in itself. So it was frustrating to, or is frustrating to try to have a voice in that arena. So I decided to go back to you know the 1990s and start blogging again because one, I enjoy writing, so it was cathartic for me. But two, I just thought if we can help one person, if there's one person out there that is. Um, either, you know, managing diabetes or preparing to go through a surgery like mine, uh, we might have some information that, that could help them. Right. And from the caregiver side, yeah. like from your perspective, I, I can't imagine now as a father, I can appreciate, you know, what my parents went through a little bit more. Um, but from my wife's perspective, you know, for nine plus hours during my surgery, she sat in an Airbnb and, and did puzzles to try to keep her mind. And she's the one that has to sit here every day and quite frankly, as she said the other night, see me in pain because of everything that I'm going through. You know, having my colon removed, as you alluded to, didn't fix the problem. Right. So I'm still managing sarcoid. Sarcoid is still hurting me uh, and and really making life challenging. But I I am stubborn to want to get out there and keep pursuing all these different adventures with my family and um with other members of the community but she needs support as well yeah how do you do that though i just interviewed somebody the other day who mm-hmm. is i don't want to give a lot of their details away but but their child is struggling like really heartily trying to accept their diabetes and yeah. and it leads down some really dark roads it does and I'm wondering how you you're staying uh, well lit. I guess how are you avoiding the shadows? Uh, that's that's a that's a great it's a great question. I I think everybody does it at their own pace. Uh, my this was purely by accident. My uh, I played college soccer for a little while, and my roommate on the soccer team was type one. And he didn't want anyone to know, and got really really ticked at me when I mentioned it to somebody. I had no issue sharing it. He was far more um, closed off with it. And eventually he adjusted, but it just wasn't his time. Like he was still managing it internally. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had a great support system around him to manage that. So I think part for me anyway, part one is having somebody to talk to, whether that's a parent, a friend, someone. And then part two is, is as a caregiver, allowing that person to, um, sort of evolve it at their own pace, if that makes sense, okay. and not rushing it to say, you know, like you just have diabetes, it's okay. I think technology has been obviously incredible, but it's also, to me at least, made it seem as though diabetes is easy to some outside observers that, mm-hmm. well, you have an insulin pump, so it's no big deal. Yeah. It's still a full time job. It's still, 
a lot to manage as an individual. So I would encourage kids and, and others to one, not measure yourself by your numbers. Numbers don't dictate who you are, or what you're doing as a person. And, and two, finding somebody that you can talk to. I, I have a buddy now that I ride with most Fridays and mountain bike with, and he's much faster than me, but he takes a dials it back every Friday and we ride together and just chat about anything and everything. And it is very much a uh, mental health ride. Yeah. No, um, I- so finding something that offers you that solace, you might be reading, might be writing, whatever the case may be. But for me, it's been obviously running and, and outdoor activities. Yeah. Trying to strike the balance, I guess this is how I should start yeah. my thought. Trying to st- yeah. strike the balance between not judging yourself by numbers yep. and realizing that those numbers are helping you stay healthy. Yeah, that's the that to me is <sighs> that's where the magic is, yeah. right? And like if you can make those two things work, you're on your way. Because when you hear it go one way or the other, it's either well, I didn't want to judge myself by the numbers, so I ignored them, but then ooh, had all kinds of problems, or yeah. I made yeah. myself mental. And like, but hey, my A1C is like five and you, you know, like, yep. like the balance in there, that's the, that's the sweet spot. And that, whatever that balance is, is going to be different for different people. Cause some people are going to be more hardy on the resilient side. Some people are going to be more, you know, in need of more grace. Like, you know what I mean? Like you have to figure out who you are yep. in that space and put yourself in that lane and it, you don't get the freedom to do that if everything that's being told to you is so black and white and you know, I just, you, you mentioned it at the beginning of what you were saying that I think it's just very important to figure out what works for you and not to rush it. It might take you some time to figure that out. Yeah. And who you, this may sound cheesy, but who you are as a diabetic, who you are as a caregiver. Mm -hmm. And you know, for, for my wife, when I first, when she was able to get the Dexcom app, you know, she said, I, I, I don't need to look if you don't want me to. And I felt so good having somebody else being able to see my numbers. It felt like such a huge weight off my shoulders. I was like, no, please (laughs) let's download the app. And, you know, so now if she knows I'm out of the house, she'll text me like you doing okay. Uh, if she sees me dropping or whatever the case may be, and then she'll apologize later. And, and so I've looking? had to tell her, like, oh, I, it, it makes me feel great. It makes me realize that I, I, I got to remember I'm not alone, that you're here for me. And um, but I didn't I mean, gosh, it took forever. It took a long time to get there. And it's again, like, I'm sorry, has she ever told but, you what makes her feel like she needs to apologize? I think my so how she's explained it to me is that she doesn't want to be overbearing. She doesn't want to be overprotective. And she doesn't want me to feel as though I'm peering over her, uh, you know, shoulder. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is she like that? Otherwise, is there a reason for no. you to feel? No, that's what it sees. Isn't that interesting? People who aren't like that are worried. Like, oh, I don't want you to see me this way. Meanwhile, she's not doing it. Right. She's the most uh, easygoing and fun. But I mean, we've got three kids, two dogs, a rabbit, a cat. You know, we've got a busy household and she's unflappable. Um, but she also kept, we've realized over the years, she's also kept a lot of, and it's scary as you, again, as, as a caregiver, mm-hmm. I can't imagine what it's like. I couldn't, I know when my wife was, was, was going through hospital stays, it was gut wrenching for me. So to have me now on a regular basis, every few months, I'm going back to Rochester uh, for a period of time to be monitored. 
and we're kind of questioning, okay, where, where is it now? Um, that has to be really brutal. So not only identifying who you are, or how you are as a diabetic and allowing yourself to f- sort of find that identity and having a support system to do that. Mm-hmm. But then also as a caregiver, the, the same thing goes like, what's your caregiving style going to be? And I think it's a two way street between, and I, I'm curious as a parent, how that works, but it's you know, sort of expectations on both sides. If that makes sense, like yeah. what you need from each other. Yeah. Um, also, by the way, we're ignoring the fact that you are flying somewhere to get your care too. It's not like it's, you know, yeah, not like it's up the street from your house. Now, I does insurance cover the travel? No, no, no that's been uh, an individual that I think meant well uh, once told me, "Well, you're fortunate that you have the money to fly." We racked up twenty twenty four thousand dollars of credit card debt in travel in one year alone. Mm. Um, and I'm not flying like, you know, private here. Um, <laughs> you, you're not taking a, just a, just a little charter jet for yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. No. And so it's like, uh, yeah, we, we hit my, my personal catastrophic max each year. <laughs> we keep getting, we got another one yesterday, actually, uh, insurance company saying like, do you have secondary insurance? Cause you know, you're, can, can you're you please bill somebody besides us? Anybody? <laughs> have you considered it? Um, yeah, no, no. yeah. Right. It's. Yeah. And, and, and there's, yeah, there's times where we've talked about it. Do we need to move? Like, do we, we, do we need to move to a hub? Do we need to, and the answer is no, because it wouldn't change. It's not like I'm going every, every other day. Right. Mm-hmm. And the treatment wouldn't really change. And so, but it's been a serious conversation, which is, is tough to have yeah. of, do we need to completely uproot everyone because of my health? Right. No, I just, I wanted to bring it up because the, to me, it seemed like a major impact that just isn't going to get talked about. You know, I, I, I no, hear people I, talking yeah. all the time, like, I got to drive an hour to get to a good endo. I'm like, you're, you just said Rochester in Montana. And I, yeah. and Rochester sounds like it's in New York to me. And, um, it does to everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I flashed back to when someone invited me to come to Montana to speak recently. And I was like, no. Oh, cool. <laughs> I said, yeah. no, there's like, it was like three planes and a day of travel to get there. Yeah. And I was like, uh, yes. can I do it on zoom? You know, like, like do, what do you like? They're like, it's beautiful here. And I'm like, I, I can't stay. Like, I mean, if I was yeah. coming for a week, that'd be great. But it was literally three planes and then a, a significant car ride and, sure. and 24 hours of travel. And I'm like, I, like, I can't, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I like, for, I guess yeah, I, I could, know. but I don't want to. And it would also mess me up for my entire like it would probably screw up 10 days of my life as far as making the podcast goes too because i'd have to get a bunch done ahead of time so i could travel so that when i got back i was ready i wouldn't be recording during that time like it was a lot of reasons why i couldn't do it but then i'm just thinking if you going back and forth for your for your medical treatment but yeah i was on disability and i've left my career uh, i was a consultant uh for the federal government and that i have found that uh, yeah, I, I left my job, um, last year, uh, last year, gosh, only feels like last year, but I, last year, obviously I was on disability. And then subsequently I, I returned to work for a period of time and I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't hang mentally, physically. Um, it, it was, it was too much. Yeah. So I ended up having to leave and that, uh, you know, going from a dual income to single income, uh, is intense to say the least. And now trying to 
fit that reality. And, and that's another piece that within the evergreen, within the nonprofit side that I have conversations with, with people in town and, and, and elsewhere is you know, people are having to make decisions, right? People are having insulin while the rates may have dropped and should have dropped years and years ago. Uh, everything still costs money and people are, are strapped when it comes to, you know, affordable yeah. housing and food and everything. It's, it's, it all is connected. Mm-hmm. And I think that's lost a lot of the time, you know, oh, that person doesn't take care of themselves. Well, do you know the whole extent? Maybe they're unable, maybe they're having to make decisions on what they can do and what they can't do, yeah, which yeah. is. You're, you're a young guy who uh, you're on disability, right? I am uh, now going through the process of applying. Uh, now, obviously, Sarcoid is not listed, as you can appreciate. Well, those people didn't watch uh, House, your... Jonathan. If they did, it would have been on the top of the list. Right. Because they well, would have thought, they would have so... thought, oh, we'll never have to cover this. No one actually has it. <laughs> and so I made, I, I can't, I've stopped making the joke because the doctors just stare at me. And I'm like, come on, House, nothing? <laughs> no way. Uh, yeah. Uh, I was you there. went to med school. I was there. I saw it all. Yeah, I, they they might have been. Well, you, you. Yeah, they might have yes. been busy learning about medicine while I was just watching it on television, in fairness. <laughs> yeah, but, well, fair enough. But yeah. you should still have it. I mean, it's. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going I'm going through that lengthy process and, and painful process and then trying to justify and trying to explain it is it's challenging. Well, and then my my next thought is it's a loss of self. No, like part of what who you I don't care yeah. what people say. Part of what you do is who you are. Part yep. of who you are is what you do, excuse me. And if you just take it from somebody and not being able to to put money in the pot too, I think is hard. Oh. Right? It's uh yes. Yeah. And I <laughs> said to my wife the other night, I was like, I, I said, you know, she stayed home for a period of time, obviously, with the kids. And I said, you you everything just seemed really well and flowing. I suck at this job. <laughs> Like the kids are, I think the kids want to go back to summer camp because dad's just not a good time. I'm still trying to figure out like, because there's days the other day I was in so much and I'm one joint pain. And then that goes along with the sarco with sarcoid and everything else. And, and just overall, my body hurt so bad. It felt like somebody had a blowtorch in my mouth mm-hmm. throughout the entire day. And so, uh, when my wife got off work, I slept for, uh, three hours. Okay. And so there's that reality too. And, and whether you have diabetes or whatever the case may be having those conversations with your kids of like, yeah, dad doesn't feel great right now. So I can't go to play baseball. I can't go mountain biking with you. I have to go sleep. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's hard. Yeah. No, I I can't imagine actually. Uh, If somebody is listening to this, they're like, I think I have sarcoidosis. First of all, you probably don't, but if you like, how do you, how do you get it diagnosed? And that's the hard part. It's a, it, as I said earlier, it's it's a diagnosis of exclusion. So it's essentially you you've run every test imaginable. Uh, sometimes you get lucky, like I did, and you're able to see it on your skin, and they're able to biopsy uh, and find that it actually is in fact sarcoid. Because that's the other part is that when you say I have sarcoid, if you I new doctors that I meet don't believe me. I'm like, go back into my records and read it. They're like, no, there's no way you have sarcoid. You're just making that up. Like, <laughs> like when people like um, will tell people, oh, you don't have so, lupus. Lupus isn't real or whatever. Like that kind of stuff. Yeah. You don't have fibromyalgia. Exactly. Like that kind yes. of stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. No, very true. So I think it, one, it's, and again, this is difficult, but I, I, I had a primary care and a wound care center that believed me. I, that's the only reason I got to the diagnosis that I did. 
was they knew and they trusted me and they knew that something was off. Um, so they did not stop. They kept pushing and pushing. Um, and then once again, once the granulomas showed up on my skin, they were able to do the biopsy. So my advice is if, if one, if you think you have it, uh, hopefully have an open conversation with your care team and as difficult as it is, don't stop. Okay. Keep pushing. The same thing with you know, my lungs as an example. I thankfully had a doctor that believed me that said, well, we don't see sarcoid there. And, but I told him, I said, I, I know, but there's something else going on with my lungs. Mm-hmm. But find a care team that you trust, one that you can collaborate with and push and just don't stop and, and try your hardest not to be discouraged because every doctor will tell you you don't have it and you're making it up. But if, if, if you feel like it's present, then you, you're going to have to be your best advocate. Yeah. yeah. You just need to keep pushing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and, and educate yourself. That's the other part, right? How, Read how you, as much as that, uh, reliable sources. Yeah. What is that? Like NIH articles? Like, did you have to go that far to figure it out? I, I did. Uh, so I've read a lot of NIH. I've read, I, I trust, you know, Cleveland and Mayo and uh, I, I know the money, you know, they always say follow the money and I know the money goes, goes there from different drugs and everything else. However, I do have confidence in those two institutions. So I read a lot of articles and different uh, studies from them. Uh, but yeah, you, you start to, I've got an encyclopedia that I use to try to figure out, you know, different terms, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Um, but research studies, anything by NIH, not just, you know, you name it, social media and, you know, Cousin Eddie. Yeah. Now, I have to tell you, I mean, I've said it on here a number of times, but my son had, he was on his way to being diagnosed with everything except Hashimoto's, which is what he had, because his symptom was just so uncommon. Right. And it's, that's how we figured it out. Like, I just, I was online reading, reading, like, like, you know, when people say I was reading and they weren't, you you know, like I was (laughs) like, I was like, like, they're like, I've done research. I'm like 20 minutes. It's a pretty long article. You got through it that quick. Like I was digging through NIH articles about hives and just, I hit it. I was like, oh my God, this is it. But then even once I had it, like if you don't have a good doctor to go to, now you have the information and that doesn't matter anyway. So, you know, luckily we had a good endocrinologist that was already helping my wife and my daughter with their thyroid stuff. So I was able to go right to her and say, hey, look, I know this is crazy, but look at this NIH article. Look at what's happening to him can we just try the medication for this? And she was like, yeah, let's go like right away. Right. And, and I think she even gave me samples to get started with before. Like, so we didn't even have to wait that long. And, ah, and, so good. and but yeah. if we don't find that one thing, the path they were heading him down was a not going to help. And B had nothing to do with what was actually happening to him. So it's yeah, hard. But you got so to throw yourself into it, you know? Just, you do. I mean, I, there's a, there's a patient library at Mayo and, and, and so my, my mentality is when I'm there, I'm going to take advantage of every resource available to me. I will, I mean, I've sat in waiting rooms for a full entire day waiting for a certain specialist. I will find doctors on their lunch break. So maybe my, I don't know, maybe I'm listed as, you know, a questionable patient. Uh, but I, they told me about their, their patient library. So I went and it was just sort of like pamphlets. It, it was a nice library, mm-hmm. but I said, no, 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 I, I want the library. Like, how can I, so I had to swindle my way and, and get access to the medical school, uh, library, which 
which I probably shouldn't be talking about. But yeah, you know, whatever. Right. It all worked out. You're fine. Nobody's <laughs> going to get in trouble. Jonathan, is there anything we haven't talked about that we should have? Did I skip anything? No, I, you know, at the end of the day, I, it, it's a it's a complicated story. It's a complicated sort of disease experience. Um, but from a pure diabetes perspective, I think I just wanted to to retouch on the fact that obviously everyone is unique. Everyone has their own approach. And I think from a caregiver perspective, from a fellow patient, I just want to hear and and sort of collaborate and share what I've experienced in hopes, again, that it helps one person or one person can help me. Yeah. Um, I, I was able to be with my nephew a couple weeks ago, uh, who's type one, as I mentioned, and I was asking him questions. I don't, I don't know everything. Uh, I haven't experienced everything. We can certainly take a lot from each other. And I'm grateful for the community that you've built. And I think it's incredible to see. And that's really my aim with Evergreen is, is I want to provide information with no judgment and a safe place. Well, man, that's it's a valuable, well worth thing to do. It's hard. Like you were saying earlier, it's making something so that people can find it is I mean, you can say it's a lot of hard work, but sometimes I don't even know how how it actually happens. I, truly, yeah. Yeah, there's so much randomness in what works and what doesn't that it, um, I don't know, it's hard to quantify. It, it really is. There are times yeah. I think, like, I don't know, like, why is this podcast, the, I mean, this podcast is the most popular diabetes podcast in the world by yeah. leaps and bounds. And if you told me I had to tell you why, and if I was wrong, you'd like throw me off a mountain, I'd probably just jump off the mountain because I'd be like, I don't really know. You, you know, like, I, I mean, I can guess. Yeah, yeah. I know what I think I'm doing right. But I, in the end, I, I, I don't know. I have no idea. Well, why from, does one yeah. video blow up and another one doesn't? Like, have you never like looked at a video and thought, that's yeah. hilarious. And it's okay. got eight views. And you think, that's not like, why? You, you know, like why that one and not that one? It's it's just a, it's it's tough, man. But it's really well. Worth it's it. the relatability, honestly, and and yeah, I couldn't obviously. I, I don't. I wouldn't be able to guess why one blows up over the other. But what I will say and what I'm after is that relatability, because as a caregiver, as a parent, you know what it feels like to have you know a child with a chronic illness and helping manage that. Yeah. There's other thousands of other caregivers out there that may not be in your same boat, but they can relate to maybe not sleeping great because you're worried about your child. I can relate to others that get low right before a test at school or maybe get ro- low right before a race. And it's frustrating, things like that. Man. So I, I, I think that relatability is is invaluable. And that's what you're doing. You're providing a, a platform. Well, yeah, uh, I which, mean. But still, you know what I'm saying. Like, it's like, who knows? I know, I like, totally it, do. Yeah, this information it, can be. It doesn't make any sense. Right. It could be rock solid and nobody could be listening to it. And. Oh, and, I, I, yeah. Yeah. I don't know how that, <laughs> like, that's just. Like, I, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. It doesn't. No, I, and then you see something that's totally outside of your wheelhouse, but like something that's totally just ridiculous and it's, you know, blows up. The and whole like, world well, I put all it. this thought and time and yeah. effort into putting quality information together. And then this person <laughs> eats a gallon of mayonnaise. <laughs> 43 million people have seen it. And you're like, yeah, exactly. And it's like, I'm over here trying to help. Yeah, yeah. no, I, that, that, that has come to my mind a mm-hmm. lot. That's been a conversation in our house quite a bit. And I, I would be, I, I do want to just, I, I know I'm taking up a lot of your time here, but mm-hmm. I wanted to say my, 
my dream, my, and, and my wife keeps reminding me, I said, when I first, when we, when we got together and I said, we need to start a nonprofit and she was like, yeah, yeah, you know, you have a lot going on. We now maybe let's do it later on. Let's think through it. I was like, nope. You know, we had a 501c3 within uh, four months. Mm. I, I, I raced through the paperwork. I wanted it. I still want it. And the reason I want it is, again, that one person. And she keeps reminding me. All you said was you wanted to try to help one person. But my dream is, much like you were mentioning, getting to Montana isn't always easy. But I hope to host some form of either both a, a kid's retreat and or adult retreat of outdoor connectivity you know i i didn't mention how much mindfulness and meditation and all sorts of things play a role in my life i need it i do a lot of studying on meditation i'm not you know particularly i don't excel in that area as far as my understanding of mindfulness but i i practice as much as i can and so i want to have sort of a some sort of a retreat uh in in the great state of montana to show and and get people together that may not have the exact same condition, but something similar to, to get outside and, and enjoy and, and, and have some community together and, and learn from each other. Yeah. Let's we'll tell people the web address again. So it's egadventures.org. Jonathan, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing all this with me today. Thank hey, you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate everything you do. And, and it's, it's fantastic. Thanks for everything. You're very nice. It's my pleasure. Hold on one second for me. Okay. Uh, Jonathan, I'm going to hit stop in a second, but I'm just going to leave a note to myself. Call this. It's never sarcoidosis. There we go. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I was, I, I'm glad you're, you're going that route. That's awesome. Huge thanks to Cozy Earth for sponsoring this episode of the Juice Box Podcast cozyearth.com. Use the offer code JUICEBOX at checkout to save 40% off of your entire order. A huge thanks to US Med for sponsoring this episode of the Juicebox podcast. Don't forget, usmed.com slash juicebox. This is where we get our diabetes supplies from. You can as well. Use the link or call 888-721-1514. Use the link or call the number, get your free benefits check, so that you can start getting your diabetes supplies the way we do from U.S. Med. I haven't mentioned this much, but the new link in the show notes for Cozy Earth actually takes you right to a page where everything's already 40% off. So, I mean, pretty cool. If you're looking for community around type 1 diabetes, check out the Juicebox Podcast private Facebook group, Juicebox Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes. But everybody is welcome. Type 1, Type 2, Gestational loved ones, it doesn't matter to me. If you're impacted by diabetes and you're looking for support, comfort, or community, check out Juicebox Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes on Facebook. If you're not already subscribed or following in your favorite audio app, please take the time now to do that. It really helps the show. And get those automatic downloads set up so you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast. The episode you just heard was professionally edited by Wrong Way Recording, wrongwayrecording.com.